Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Met a ghost of a king on the road when I first fell. Fire burning to my knees, to my knees I fell. Met a ghost of a king on the road. Okay, so here we are. Welcome. <laughs> I'm, I'm straight. So much. <laughs> I'm straight off the moving sidewalks of Salt Lake City. He cared so much to be here that he took yeah. a red eye to arrive. Just well, this sass. actually was worse than a red eye. It was a morning flight. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I I just had um, one of those experiences that my wife really hopes makes it into print someday. And it's this is the kind of thing that goes on in our family where uh, we talk about trying to live in a story. Mm-hmm. In our family, when you have a terrible experience, uh, you know, one of, one of those like junior varsity trials, the kind of things that, that people love to process like an episode in their life that makes them interesting, enables them to fuss at work or whatever. Uh, in our family, you get laughed at. People just laugh. Like <laughs> with you or at you? Both. Oh, okay. About ha ha ha. That's terrible. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and no so, sympathy. And so that's what I was getting today from my wife when I finally when I finally just rolled into town and she was like, write it, write it down. Oh, because yeah. it's such a zoo. I, I basically it would be a great essay on the coming collapse of the United States of America. <laughs> oh dang. Um uh, people are already requesting this. You shouldn't have posted a picture. The SAS, no, the SAS followers said, yeah. can we have an episode on? Yeah. Well, real quickly, before we get into LAMP. Yeah, because today's, Lamp, today's LAMP. LAMP day. Um, real quickly, I was watching my daughters. And the, the whole thing was comedy. Everything's, everything about this was, was comedy because I flew out to Ohio to watch my daughters run at a track meet. And uh, they should not have had the track meet. I drove in the night before, I flew into Columbus, drove to Cedarville, Ohio, and the winds were insane. And like there's torrential rain when I was driving in, and then um, it was constant wind, but just massive gusts, like high gusts. And I live on a <laughs> hill in Idaho. So in terms of wind power, it was up there, big moody sky. They had to pause for lightning at one point, but nobody had a prayer of running in this yeah like this was just I and mean, when you're when you're talking about 35 40 mile an hour plus gusts you know you don't really have much of a chance i'm watching my daughter warm up in front of the blocks behind the blocks for her 400 meter and she's she's doing what are called cheerleaders high knees open high knees and she's bouncing up and down and a gust comes and just knocks her out of her lane <laughs> just like <laughs> she goes she goes flying and she turned and looked at me like uh oh! <laughs> All right, this is what we're doing. I guess we're doing this. Um, then, when my da- other daughter ran the eight hundred meter, she attacked the wind. She did not give up. I was very, I, I was laughing so hard, and yet also very proud of her because she just attacked it like an animal, and she fought the law, and the law won. I mean, it's like you, you're not going to win, but She's swimming. But She's are you swimming yeah. through the sky? And actually, yeah. the, the yeah. thing is that she looked like she's doing a pool workout. Like oh, she yeah. looked like she's trying to run, <laughs> run through water. <laughs> but yeah, and she won the first lap. Like she actually got her on, on, on pace for her first lap, which took all of her energy. Mm-hmm. And so that second lap was just like, oh, she was destroyed. Like you can only throw so many punches at the wind. 
But anyway, so I did that. I flew out to watch that kind of a track meet. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch my girls run against futility. It's an Ecclesiastes track meet. Mm. A, a perfect vanity, vanity yeah, of a, a perfect picture of of all of it. It really was actually, and I really was glad I was there, and it was a lot of fun. And then I uh, took off the next day, but I, I ended up flying back out of Detroit after driving them back to school. Um, so we got great car time. But I'm flying home out of Detroit. I show up. It's kind of mayhemy. I'm trying to drop a bag, and I get the notification of like, "Oh, your your connection, your flight to Minneapolis is delayed, and margin's still okay." Oh, another delay, and oh, now it's over two hours. I'm like, "And I'm not going home." Like, there's no way I'm making that second flight, and it starts pushing me options. Like, "Hey, we can rebook you for tomorrow afternoon." <laughs> you know, it's like this is mm. that you want to just yeah the misery. Like that kind of thing, like, oh boy. So I, I call, this is one of those things that the unfortunate nature of my life, um, one of the hard parts is you end up with medallion status on airlines. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds super unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, you're like, great, yay. <laughs> that yay. means I've been here a lot. That means I've been here. I mean, I'm well on my way to million miler status on Delta. Yeah. Like I'm... I'm Walter Kern up, yeah, the, up in no, the air I'm, status. I'm... <laughs> It's been, I've been flying Delta since I started doing book tours and everything else. So there's, and other airlines as well, but there's, there's a lot racked up there. So I've got my medallion style status and I hit the medallion phone number while I'm in line. And then I'm on the hold music, which is not normally what you're experiencing at the high level, the higher medallions. And it's like, oh boy. And they, they get on and they're like, yeah, we can just, let's route you tomorrow. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm going, I'm going home. And it was really funny because this woman, so she's she's working the diamond medallion desk for Delta, and her solution is, "How about tomorrow in twenty? How about in twenty four hours?" Mm. And it's like, don't you realize we're first world? I should be able to get places. <laughs> you know, I remember she took the Wilson family approach to the yeah, delay, just yeah. laughing at you. <laughs> yeah, and it's like this is. I remember when Heather and I went to Colombia for our honeymoon. It was a whole saga of how long it took us to get to Bogota. And now you're telling me it's going to take longer than that to get from Detroit to Spokane. <laughs> like this is, come on. They're right next to each other. Yeah, no like my family just went to, you know, an obscure island in Indonesia for a surfing uh, vacation. And they, it took 72 hours of constant travel. And same deal, like, whoa, but it's the other side of the world. And then you're trying to get from two hubs, between two hubs, and it starts taking you 48 hours, 56 hours. It's like, really? guys um are we not the first world no we're not really anymore um and so they they were proposing these really late flights and i told the woman i was like well what about other cities and it was like it was somebody turned on a light switch i'm like oh really we could look at other cities I'm like come on like how are you working this desk like <laughs> so she looks at salt lake and she's like yeah we could do that we could route you through salt lake that should be fine so they switch me there i go through security sitting waiting and then i start getting the notifications that my departure to salt lake is delayed and this is all incidentally staffing mm. this is labor so oh we're short crew crew is timing out union regulations federal regulations yep. like oh this like we're losing we're, we're as flights are delayed crew is not allowed to work the next flight and so on so we're the same kind of thing i dealt with before this is now the second time i'm seeing like 
a cataclysm over short crew, right? Yeah. And so I'm sitting here looking at my plane. My my plane is sitting there, and it's hours and hours before we're going to be able to do this before we can get on the plane to Salt Lake City. And I'm starting to watch my Salt Lake City departure, like those things intersect. And so then I'm I'm looking at two flight trackers while I'm in the air. And it's like, oh man, this is going to be tight. And this is going to be tight. And the pilots already said like, hey, we're going to try to make up time. No, we lost time in the air. But battling the wind. <laughs> yeah. And at first I'm looking at flight leaving Salt Lake City from the A terminal and flight arriving in the B. And I'm like, I'm screwed. Like, because the people who designed the new Salt Lake City airport. That's a long trek. They. Yeah. They injected things and ate mushrooms and designed that airport. Because they, they spent, every single time you have to go all the way down and under, right? And then all the way back so up. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. And there's no stairs. <laughs> yeah. So you get to the end, like everything impacts on escalators. And I saw some <laughs> of the worst disaster marketing management I've ever seen in the tunnels of Salt Lake City Airport today, right before I came to podcast with you. The big red thing on the wall that said, Many doctors recommend 10,000 steps a day. We're just trying to help. Oh. And it's like something, some variation of that. I don't remember the exact wording. And I was just like, you morons. <laughs> like if that had said, we know these tunnels were a terrible idea. We're sorry. I would have been like, thank you. That's, <laughs> but instead, like, it's good for you. I was like, you darn it, you freaking Mor Mormons. Like, like that just is, it was this pietistic, our tunnels are good for you. Yeah. It was really bad. But mm. anyway. To injury at that point. Yeah, it's really, really was terrible. But then, so last night, as I'm landing, I'm trying to make this tight connection and I'm watching the flight trackers. Uh, I also, in Detroit, had gone in and talked to a, a customer service rep who actually reserved me a flight this morning, like just as a backup. Like, okay, you have a seat on a flight this morning in case you missed this connection. And uh, I'm I'm sitting here watching my tight connection. I get a notification uh, that my flight this morning has been canceled. <laughs> so before I know even if I'm going to make my connection, my backup flight has now been canceled. And I'm trying to get texts out, but the Wi-Fi is not working. I'm trying to get my wife to book an Alaska flight or something for this morning because everything else is slammed. Everybody in Detroit was mad at Delta. Like it was cascading everywhere. So the flight attendant, for the first time, I've never had anybody do this. The flight attendant gets on the PA in the plane and says, basically, we know a lot of you have tight connections. We know a lot of you are missing flights. Please do not talk to us about that. That's not our job. Our job is inside this aircraft. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I cannot tell you how many times since 2008, when I started book touring, Flight attendants have come down the aisles with sheets of like, these are the people with tight connections. And I'm talking to giving people updates and, mm -hmm. you know, it's like and really caring. This was like, don't talk to us about this. Like, yeah. don't. I was like, I have never, I've never had that before. It's not our job. And then also added, added to that, there will be customer service reps at the gate for you to talk to. That's it. So I'm sitting here watching this and then a couple of text messages as we get to low altitude texts start coming through from my wife and she's saying it's still there and I'm saying, yep, my zone is boarding and then it's all zones are boarding and we're descending and then they pull away and take off as we land. <laughs> and it turns out because of all the changing everything, uh, the gates were adjacent to each other. 
So it ended up being like B1 and B4 of, of like right across. Mm. And so it's like close. You can, and there's so many it. people on this flight from trying to get to Spokane with me. And it's right there. And like literally Delta, you could have made your life so much simpler just by delaying. If you had one. waited 15 minutes, 10 minutes, because it's the last flight out. It won't cause more problems. Like this is the one flight that it won't, it won't cascade, but they sent it and we get off the plane and there's no customer service reps. Yeah, for sure. I would not, I, I also would not go to that, that customer service gate. No, there's no, but no, but they were like, people will meet you at the gate. There will be no, customers. I'm saying I would bail. Yeah, if right, I was right, right. Person. If you were wearing a little red vest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would not be there. And so we walk off and there's no one there. Nobody. And it was just like, oh my goodness. And people are starting to lose it. And I'm looking around like, this is, this is wild. I've been notified that my flights tomorrow morning's already been canceled. And, and they suggested next available seats were tomorrow, as in tomorrow when I'm talking right now. So I'm flying Sunday night and they're now recommending Tuesday afternoon mm, to get out of Salt Lake City. Bad stuff. And it's like, oh boy, like this is, uh, it, it, was, it was a little bit wild. So one woman shows up. She walks over and everybody gets in a line immediately to talk to her. And she, first question, Spokane. Second question, Spokane. So, you know, next question's a connection to Redmond. And and she just makes a PA announcement to everybody of, I am only here to board people to Tampa. I am not going to talk to any of you about any of your connections. You're going to have to get a hold of a customer service rep. That is not my job. Uh, and I'm like, holy crap. Like, people are. Oh, okay wow like all right and people are starting to be upset and they said on the plane not to talk to them but to talk to you and she's like i'm sorry you're misinformed i'm not having any of these conversations i'm like whoa whoa so heather's booked me for an alaska flight for first thing this morning which means i have to go pull my bag so i go to the baggage services and i'm like i need this bag pulled they say great i sit down on the floor and i watch all these bags go round and round on this oversized lug oversized luggage rack in salt lake city airport carousel 11. and i'm sitting here thinking there's people for all these bags this is the narrative like all these bags that are going by and all these people are wondering where their bags are and they're with me <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have them <laughs> all of their bags are with me and my bag is not with me <laughs> Like this is, that I have is their, air, that's airports. I have yeah. their skis. I have this banana yellow suitcase that I was keeping time with because it was the easiest one to spot when one full RPM had been done on this thing. And it's like their bags are, they're just with me. And I sat there for 45 minutes without, without seeing a bag go away. Like nobody's taking their bags. Like everybody's gone. Nobody's here. Like just me in the bags. Uh, people come through every now and then I was there for an hour and a half and I finally go back in. I'm like, Hey, this shouldn't take more than an hour to pull my bag. I need to pass out and fly first thing in the morning to get home. And they were like, this isn't your final destination. I'm like, it is actually now I'm switching to Alaska. And, uh, this guy kind of comes over uh, Gen Xer and says, I can get you on the flight first thing in the morning. I'm like, I really know that you can't. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, I can, I can. He's like, just meet the guy at the gate and yeah. tell him I said. And he, so he gives me the seat request and he gives me a seat request form. And I'm like, I don't want a seat request form. I need a flight out. You know, I'm looking to go home. He's like, no, like, don't worry. You'll be seated. And he's like, just check in first thing in the morning, you know, pass out for a few hours, check back in first thing in the morning and, uh, and they'll get you. So I come, I show back up in a few hours and I go to the front counter to check in and they're like, oh, we don't handle this. 
I'm like, oh, perfect. This is happening again. They're like, go to the gate. I go to the gate and get all through security, which is another nightmare. Thanks, uh, Salt Lake City. Other people do this well, by the way. You don't have to go out of the airport. And Salt, Lake, Salt Lake City <laughs> does it very badly in a brand new, really expensive airport. And I feel very bad for all of them. Um, it's ter- It's really, it's, it's sad that they spent that much money making something so DMV. <laughs> but governmental yeah bureaucratic so then i go to the gate and the and there's a whole line of people trying to get seats and the woman makes an announcement and she's just like don't like please don't come up and talk to me about seats to spokane and i was like what in tarnation is go- this is what's happening well, you know, what what is going on it's like well then i do actually i was like the, the dude the night before had worked a little bit of magic and it's like oh i get a vibration i have a seat i'm like oh wow like i'm actually going home so i get on the flight I make it. I've I've witnessed many hilarious meltdowns and comic exchanges that I'm just glossing over. Um, and then I'm in the air, finally leaving. About halfway to Spokane, I get a notification from Delta: "Your bag has arrived at Carousel 11 in Salt Lake City." I'm like, "Wow!" I would have still been there if I was just waiting. Like waiting, like 9 a.m. My bag arrives. At Carousel 11. Was after it actually there, or did they I don't know. Oh. But it's so then I get off in Spokane. I go right to baggage services, and there's this gentleman with a bull ring and a you know Irish driver's cap watching Netflix, and um he he deigns to pull his AirPods out for me, and and <laughs> it was probably a good show. <laughs> yeah, and I give him uh, I give him my bag tag number, and he's like, "Your bag is in two places at once." It is coming out right now here in Spokane. It's also in Salt Lake City. I'm like, it's not coming out right now. It's like, it's in Salt Lake City, I guarantee you. So we we had to wait it out because uh-huh. he had two reports of where it was. But somebody scanned it into my flight successfully this morning. And somebody else then said, no, let's send it to Carousel 11 and and did that. So yeah, eventually my bag will arrive. But the thing that's funny is as I uh, as I get home, my wife is just enthusiastically like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Like, this is so funny. Oh, and man. it's not that she's not sympathetic. It's just like, this always happens to you. She's like, you're always in these situations. She wants me to describe scenes and characters and all these things. And so we had a lot of, I laughed until I cried. And then I came to podcast. It's like, I was, I was doing, That's I was great. doing weepy laughter describing this, this bag service guy, but I won't, I won't describe him as vividly into a microphone <laughs> that will live forever. But but Delta definitely like bathed itself in glory over the last over the last and couple of And it's kind of, of the best. Yeah, the thing that's really sad about it is it really feels like this wobble coming at us because they're not talking about the real issue which is like labor shortage. Right. And then those people who are left behind, those those people who are available and are working they're they're feeling a little victimized uh-huh. understandably because they're just yeah. having to handle so much more yep. than they used to handle and the labor shortage is really it's coming and like i can't wait for it to hit trucking yeah. and everything else like who wants to be a truck driver yeah like who wants to do that and then we'll we'll circle back to our ai conversation and yeah and then you're gonna have that fedex guy who just dumped all his packages into a canyon because he's yeah. a crazy person you know, yeah. they, <laughs> he was just, like, I'll deliver things. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I, got, I got you. But yeah, yeah it's, it is, it's it does, pretty I wild. Mean, it's crazy when you think about, you know, if you hire someone who just can't do the job for these things that really matter. Yeah. And but I, I am a person. So I actually, 
there's some people putting together or trying to put together a pitch for like a, a house renovation comedy. And I get, I got hit up because I lived one. Um, I've li- <laughs> I lived more than one, but there were four deaths surrounding our, our house project. Oh, you, people can, who are supposed to be helping with your house who died. Yes. Wow. Four. And it's, you know, it's like, and it's all, it's all like, where, where's the cider? You know, it's like, he's in it. So he cider shot himself. The well pump guy drowned. You know, it's like this guy died of cancer. This guy, you know, it's like, it's, uh, this guy was an OD. Um, and it's, but the other thing that's weird about it is all of it was uh, with exceptions, but there's so much of it just bathed in comedy and dark comedy. Yeah. And it's like, it started funny and then it, got not funny and like it then ends track like ends up in tragedy and it, it goes all these different directions so it's not like anybody died on our site or died working on our house but it's like it was like wow like it, it plays rough like you know when you really get into these stories stuff goes hard and a lot of it is because of that labor shortage and you start making hires yeah you know you're hiring terminal guys to sling drywall oops you know you're you're hiring uh, drug addicts to do things. You're hi- you're hiring them because there's a body standing there saying, "I'll do it," and there's no one else. And so you're taking these risks, yeah. You know, with with employment that are that are pretty wild. So the the coming labor crash. We I don't think we've talked about that at all. It's something that we've talked about um, in other um, in other areas. But as far as like yeah. on SASF, yeah, what's happening narratively with the birth rates? with gen z being the most overemployed generation ever they just don't exist they should be working all these minimum wage jobs but they're not available there just aren't people available they're they're working them this is why mcdonald's is trying to pay you you know 20 bucks an hour yeah to work the drive-thru and has like school scholarship signing bonuses in the thousands to get people to work at mcdonald's you know panda express is offering six-figure jobs to like assistant managers you know it's crazy right now but there just aren't people and so we have the perfect storm to really heavily um incentivize ai like incentivize going that direction and needing to go that direction to keep your little fast food restaurant afloat or your trucking company or whatever else and then we have like all the downfalls of that you know all the things that are going to come you know there but it's like uh it's like an aladdin where you're jumping from rock to rock but the one behind you gets sucked into the lava so there's like (laughs) you'll never be you'll be fine (laughs) you'll be fine but it is it is really interesting but the narratives that are coming like the things that are coming at our kids over the next 20 years like and and sooner than that are wild like really really wild i i do feel i may have said this here i do feel like our children will each have their own mall in which to play paintball like yeah. there's there's yeah. like a population crash. No, I was talking to my coming. son about you know working at Sonic because he's ten, you know, and he sees like seventeen bucks an hour, and I was like, he could be making thirty four thousand a year as like a high school kid. <laughs> yep, yep. But don't worry, each of those dollars will be worth a nickel. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, like the things we're barging into, and then you see the announcements coming from John Kerry and Biden of things like GMC saying that all of their vehicles will be electric by twenty thirty five. They won't even make a gas vehicle. Uh, and I'm just like, are you? And then you watch what? California's problem with what charging and power. No, it's, like none of those cars will be driving. Yeah, <laughs> it's 
not none, I guess, but maintenance. Yeah. On those things. Like it, it's. Do you, does it require a trained engineer who understands the, it? Because the infrastructure buildup and the, the personnel infrastructure buildup that has to happen in order to actually accomplish something that is that decadent. Yeah. Like we have something that works and works well, and there are simple systems and we are insisting on introducing extremely complex systems yeah. in to replace it because of piety and virtue with our new, our new framework. And I'll, I'll, we'll move on to, to lamp here in a second, but I'll just say many a road have I driven on where I'm looking at the white powder on the asphalt and I'm looking at diesel exhaust. It just is not black. And so, and it sits on the road and goes into the soils. And, you know, it's like, yay, congratulations us. You know, like we've, we've accomplished this where you, you can actually find places where it's like that white powder, courtesy of diesel exhaust fluid. You know, it's like urea, a lot of pig urine and other stuff. It's like, this is not, why are we doing this? Um, and it's not like I'm all yeah. for just like unbridled emissions of like, let's roll coal or anything like that. But we are morons because via lobbyists we make dams that are already built sunk costs producing electricity year in year out because of the water cycle we're going to make those not sustainable and we're going to we're going to tear those down and go all in on wind farms and solar and electric that doesn't work then uh, no we'll, are we going to go with nuke of course not that's the one because that one's scary it's super scary Haven't anyway we all seen chernobyl the, the story the story that we're living the times that we're living in are going to get really interesting. And I'm in like the ha 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 funny, the funny part where it's like, yeah, my flights were canceled and delayed and it was totally bizarrely handled and with, with no efficiency. And it would have been the easiest thing in the world to solve these things with little adjustments here and there. You know, I get no notifications about in incoming delay that would enable me to switch when there was time. And it's just notifications of disaster after the fact. and. But they, uh -huh. they know, you know, like there's the apparatus just isn't, isn't built yet. So it's, well, I mean, it's all comedy yeah. right now, but where it gets to is a lot more. Well, where it gets to is Mumbai, yeah. Mumbai. Like, <laughs> where it gets to is something known as the third world. <laughs> In which but, we all just watched a movie about. Yeah, we all did. <laughs> did we get good questions? And transitioning to lamp and um, trying to, trying to make a go of it under different circumstances. You know, we didn't. I just don't want to have my own chickens. I don't like chickens. Yeah. I mean, rabbits. Are you a meat rabbit guy? I have a friend who's a meat rabbit guy. And I thought. Well, I'd rather eat chickens, but I'd rather somebody else have the chickens. Yeah. Before. Well, I that's eat our them. situation now. That won't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just like the idea of. No, no, I do meat rabbits. That's what I Walter like to Kern say. told me. He's like, I'll, he'll set up shop and be like, I'll write a card for your wife and you can give me eggs. <laughs> i'm a writer i'll use my writing <laughs> skills from the apocalypse there will still be anniversaries and yeah you'll need a well-turned phrase here and there i yeah, could i can get her. some proteins off your farm for for that yeah he, he walter kern went off on some guy who was saying that a virtuoso author will be good at writing prompts for gpt4 or whatever oh, and gosh. walter kern said virtuoso writers do not write prompts <laughs> <laughs> it is funny though and actually to to really touch this base and run because it's a tar baby. The chat GBT thing is derivative. It is downstream. It can only be an echo. 
And even there, it's Dude, a you're making everybody mad. I'm gonna get five hundred. It's a, it's a predictive. It's a predictive echo. Like it's not even. It's like a copy of a cassette tape. You know, which we all know back in the day. For anybody who was alive when we had cassette tapes, you know, I, it I did gets that. it gets grainier, and it's like a copy of a cassette tape without the original. It's it's predicting. It's it's trying to anticipate and predict things that would have been said or would have been would have been done. And then, uh, you know, but does it, a kind of like a ham-handed version of it. Yeah. Are, are there going to be uses? Absolutely. There's going to be great uses for it. Will I use it for something? Probably. I mean, I don't think I'll be able to avoid it. I already use yeah. machines to identify yeah. uh, grammatical weirdness. But I will say, whenever Microsoft Word is underlining something with blue, uh, how often do I change that? Never. Yeah, it's usually a good idea. It means I have style. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, you don't want to do that. I'm outside of the norm. And it's funny, there was a, a my my daughter's had a teacher who was, who was saying like, nobody would talk this way, a Latin teacher talking about translation. You wouldn't say hither or whence. And my daughters were like, of course we would. <laughs> it's like <laughs> wordplay. It's more fun. But moving on, moving on to Slumdog, moving on to Slumdog and our future, the, the slums of Mumbai. Yes. Mumbai. Yeah, uh, I think, I think biggest questions, you know, I mean, I think the biggest questions is, is this movie, are you supposed to take the positive affirming meaning of this movie or the negative nasty one? Both of them. Yeah. Because I guess the positive one seems pretty straightforward. The positive one is that uh, um, Jamal's faith or his trust and the characters around him allow them to level up out of their situation and do something good that they shouldn't be allowed to do. Let's so, um I guess I don't know where do we start with this? Do we let's, start let's with, start with with start with the important the importance of discarding authorial intent when when addressing a a film or a story. Yeah. Authorial intent, we've talked about this before, helps. It's an interesting witness as you're trying to puzzle out what a thing says. Yeah. yeah. And so you can say, "Oh, wow." You know, when you discover the authorial intent of Book of Eli or Stranger Than Fiction. Yep. And it it might turn some lights on for you. Like you might see some things you didn't see. You're like, oh, I see it now because I've learned. I saw this interview with the director, this interview with the writer. And so now I see something I didn't see. Right. But it still has to be there. Yeah, definitely. And so in this case, I've, I've heard a lot of people object to Slumdog, and I think it's an interesting conversation because people object to it based on a system of karma. Mm. You know, it's like, it's, is this not just karma? This isn't providence. This isn't, yeah. this isn't God. It's just karmic. And the fact is, I don't care. You know, it's right. like pride goeth before the fall is karmic. If you, like, is, isn't that karma? It's like, no, that's not the mechanism. The mechanism is God and providence. But a framework of karma uh, can be imposed on it. So if we look at Jamal and the narrative here, he's being tortured for knowing answers yeah. that he shouldn't know given that he's a slumdog. And yes, for purposes of this film, the word slumdog was invented. That's not a thing. It's well, I, I was so impressed with the marketing because, like, this yeah. is this is based on a book called Q and A. Yeah, right, which is a terrible name. Boring and Slumdog Millionaire, and then also the screenwriter, what, whatever his name was, I'm trying to remember. But him taking and summarizing that novel into one 
you know, yeah. nonstop story from start to finish. Like just that marketing angle is impressive. You yep. know, changing rather than saying, hey, let's make a movie QA, which sounds like a cute little side flick too. Let's make a movie called Slumdog Millionaire, which has everything yeah, <laughs> right there. That is a great, <laughs> great title. And the other thing that's funny though is, is of course, Hollywood, they love to work off of IP, right? They love to work off of existing success. Yeah. Um, novels that people already like. But this is an example of something where the existing IP did nothing for it. Yeah. Because they changed the name. They were like, we like that story. Yeah. That's a good story. We're going to tell a version of that story. And that's why they went to get it. They didn't get, get it because it was a bestseller, because it was shiny, because it had fame and fortune. Because if they had, they would have kept the name. They mm-hmm. would have tried to draft on that. They threw the name away, named it much better than the novel was named. And then... Yeah. You know, and then rolled in. But what you see this kid getting tortured for knowing answers he shouldn't know. Um, you know, when he's a chai wala or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you get the tea, dude. That's what you do. Yeah. Um, and he knows all the an- the answers, and then we tell the story about how he knows the answers. And the story about how he knows the answers goes all the way back. And then it parallels his story with his brother's story. Yeah. And it gives you two story, two paths to wealth. Mm-hmm. So the thing that these brothers have in common is that they both got a ton of money. Yeah. And so you see uh, Jamal gets a ton of money and he knows the answers by means of having sacrificed and given and served. Mm-hmm. And so he is, sir, he's given a blind girl, you know, a bunch of money and she's told him the name of the president because he, he knows that name because he's, he's given the money away. And he's done all these different things that have actually put him in a place where by laying himself low, by going down, that's yeah. that's how he has this I mean, moment. And that's so vividly, when, even when covered in poop, right? Yeah. Uh, Jamal yep. comes out victorious with the autograph. Yep. Um, he dives in. He has to go low and come out. And he, like he goes yeah. down through the filth. And he goes down through the filth and the sacrifice all the time. His brother grabs and fights and brawls and so could we try to impose karmic theology on this sure we could but we don't have to there's nothing in the story that requires you to do that right so i mean the story sets it up with those two opening images very save the cat you know yeah. with a, it starts putting money in a bathtub even before you know what it is because that's yep. where salim's gonna die yep and then also sets up like how did he get the answers you know he was yeah. lucky he's a genius so you've got a he kid cheated. who's who's being hung up and he's being shocked yeah. You know, it's like we get that real early. Yeah. And we, we get we get pulled in very, very quickly. But these two kids have two paths to wealth. Mm-hmm. They both get the money. Yeah. One of them dies in the bathtub on the money. Mm-hmm. Like he dies this way. He's destroyed. This kind of like devouring, like devouring and destroying to get your money is going to come back on you. Yeah. Uh He's the, it reminds me of Lewis because he's his quest when he has that great scene on top of the skyscraper where he says, you know, here we are, it's the center of the world and I'm at the center of the center. And that's like- Yeah, the center of the center of the world. Yeah. And that's his yep. desire is to get yep. center. And it feels like Jamal's, well, obviously his desires for Latika or Latika yep. and- uh, Yep. Or, uh, yeah, I don't know. And so the, the whole thing is vibrant, vivid peppy joyful even while horrible yeah and the fact that you have that's one of the things that's great is seeing people be 
cheerful and joyful when they're experiencing horrors way beyond what we we could process like yeah. we're we're so far past that we're blessed way beyond this and it's like we complain you know we complain and moan when we have canceled flights you know it's like that's right. somebody lost my bag my bag is in salt lake city <laughs> and that's funny yeah and the kid you're the blind kid you're talking about arvind when he gets blinded you know yeah. it's the first moment the movie becomes like Oof. i mean his mom dying religious fight pretty intense but then when, but but also very impressionistic yep yep uh the blinding is just gnarly and arvind but here's a question for you i think the only difference doesn't the movie set up the only difference between jamal and arvind is is the little blind kid is the fact that salim exists because yep. salim saves jamal's life like three times because jamal is simply so so the negative version of this is that or the slightly darker is that you can track this movie watching Jamal stopping being so naive and learning to finally see the world does have deceit. And when he finally doesn't believe the guy who tells him the answer in the bathroom, right? So the, yeah. you know, when he finally says, okay, I get that not everyone's on my team and I'm going to look for some deceit here. Um, that's when he finally takes the, the jag. So, yeah. so it's almost like Jamal has to learn that bit of Salim that he's missing. And if Salim hadn't been there, Jamal would be Arvind. He'd be that blind kid. Yeah. So I, I was, there's yep. like definitely two. But also his, you know, when you, when you deal with Salim as well, if he fails to gain anything from Jamal. Right. That's true. And so he doesn't ever get that. They don't, it's not that the two figure it out from each other. They need each other. Yeah. Uh, Jamal does benefit from Salim, obviously. Right. Because um, of Maman or the And first Salim, Salim actually straight alphas the situation even with the girl and everything else yeah. and is a devourer. terrible scenes right so but he is he is a wild animal among wild animals right and that wild animal uh helps i, I saw some you know helps jamal out let's let's reference a wilderness reel somewhere i saw of a hippo rescuing a gazelle from a bunch of wild dogs because they're wild dogs it was you know probably tanzania but this these wild dogs are getting ready to rip a gazelle apart. They made the mistake of doing it by water, and a hippo comes roaring out and, and chases them all off, and then proceeds to nuzzle with the gazelle for a little while, and they hang out together. And you're like, oh, it's adorable. And suddenly the hippo just grabs it and ragdolls it and kills the gazelle. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> that's that's your Salim character. Yeah, like it's yeah. a wild animal yeah. among wild animals, and it's. People do this all the time where they replace one tyrant with another. There's a, there's a system, there's a revolution needed because there's an oppressive system, but then the revolutionaries are worse. Yeah, because Salim you know? kills Maman and then yeah. immediately goes to Javed and replaces him with a yeah. devil who's even worse because Javed's better than Maman. Yeah, and, it's, and, then, and then, you know, the girl is going to be abused yeah. no matter what. Right. Salim abuses her. Yeah. Javed abuses her even yep. worse. It's like, there's, yeah. it, this is just going to happen. It's a question of which wild animal. Right. Is it the hippo going to kill you or is it the wild dogs? And it doesn't much matter. And so Jamal ends up rescued by, saved by this wildness. Mm -hmm. You know, the storm of it, the chaos of it isn't always against him, but it's fighting itself. It's fire with fire. 
Right. And so, you know, when you're dealing with Salim fighting fire with fire, yeah, it benefits Jamal in these in these moments. And Jamal grows and learns like where strength has to show up and not to be so naive, et cetera. Yeah. But ultimately it's his innocence, the fact that he never gives into corruption like that. He never goes that direction fully. Right. He becomes aware of it and understands it. Yeah. And understands how to navigate it. But he's not it. He does not become part of it. Sure. Ever. And yeah. then he comes out the other side with the money and the girl. And right. Salim dies in a bathtub on top of the money, having already abused the girl. So oh. did Salim get the girl and the money too? Yeah. But via this this dark, dark judgment route. Yeah. And then I think you see Salim wrestling with that. Yeah. As he becomes more and more Islamic as the movie goes Yeah, it just becomes the monster. You, yeah. yeah. And, you, and you start to watch him even trying to deal with it because you watch him praying before he goes out to kill somebody. Yep. And you also watch him before he gets in the bathtub. I think it's a uh, washing his face there. Uh, uh, you know, he, he's doing the, yep. the ritualistic face washing Ramadan style. Yep. I don't know. But it's interesting that he, he he's grasping for what can yeah. I do to 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 counter what I've become and has got nothing except the revolver. Yeah. And the the other thing that's funny about this is this film there's some of this I'm sure is some urban legend but this this movie made a lot of money. Yeah, most ever by Fox Searchlight Pictures. Yeah. I think it was the and number one. It ended up on the cutting room floor. Like they didn't that's right. they didn't want to release this at all. And then they cuz they're like, you know, who's going to want to watch this? Kids getting blinded a Bollywood number at the end. Yeah. No name actors. Like nobody in here is famous. <laughs> this yeah. is. Uh, they lied to the producers. They said only 10% of the movies in Hindi, like 30% of it actually is, you know? Yep. So, so uh, yep. they, you know, they, they didn't see commercial success happening here. Yeah. They, and, but they, they kept the vision and they, they went for it. And this is yep. not um, uncommon. Doesn't this follow your rule that, you know, when you're shooting something, if you're shooting it in a beautiful, amazing place, you almost get like a, it's a cheat code. Like if you're shooting yeah, a so movie. Yeah, so it was, as I was, it was Darren Doan who first told me, it's like, there's a lot of billion dollar sets out there that are free. Yeah. Like, go use them. Like, yeah. The Taj Mahal, <laughs> you know, for example, yep. you don't have to build that. It's, it's there. It's there. And the vibrant colors, the culture this this foreign fantasy world this this bizarre fantasticalness the constant a, grift you know them yeah. even them even gluing uh soda bottles back together you know yep. that's his job i don't know just even little stuff like that yep. the little details of the other world and yeah. a western audience getting this like bizarre immersive like portal into a different existence had a, had a ton of potential and it made a ton of money so, and gold statues and a ton of money and almost yeah. didn't get released. Eight Academy Awards and 378 million. Right, right before, and more recently, right before Jesus Revolution released, there were tracking experts who were all doom and gloom. For Jesus Revolution? Yep. Just doom and gloom. This is tracking very badly. This won't work. And John Irwin, the director, was having to like push his chips in saying like, no, like this is, there is an audience. The audience will show up. And it's like, but none of our testing reveals that none of our, we, we don't see how this could succeed. And that's, it's that kind of a thing. But when you, when in retrospect, you think about Jesus revolution, like, of course it will succeed. Mm. Like it's nostalgic for one generation. It's a portal in time for another generation. 
it actually is a study of a massive moment that nobody's studied and tried to, you know, trying to humanize something. But for my parents, for my in-laws, it's like, yep, we that was it. us coming of age. We that was that. our coming of age. Like we came of age that way. Mm. You know, my dad watching it is like, man, I remember when we were doing lunchtime Bible studies at the University of Idaho, standing room only every day. Wow. Like every day. And that's like times have changed. And so this, this glimpse back at something that's needed right now, very, very badly. So not only is it needed right now, but it's also nostalgic and this like awakening. Do you remember? Do you remember when the, for all the boomers, do you remember? Yeah. And for everybody below the boomers, this is what it was like for your parents when they came of age, for your grandparents and so on. Yeah. It was like it was gonna work. And he did it, he did a good job of it. So it was, it was going to work. But all the tracking was like waving its hands, being like, uh, like yeah. we don't yeah. think this. So with Slumdog, it was something very similar. No one will want to watch unknown actors have speaking horrible Hindi. lives yeah speaking hindi yeah <laughs> speaking hindi having horrible lives yeah and yeah okay brightly colored cultural experience whatever ending with bollywood like what are you doing mm. and then it goes you know enormous hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars okay, i have a couple questions about it yeah. for you though um it breaks one of the major rules they always tell you which is don't tell things in flashback right what what are your thoughts on that you think rules are rules, rules are schmules? rules are for fools yeah <laughs> i really yes rules are for chat gbt yeah they're not they're not for artists who are trying to deliver something well actually let me sip my coffee and then and yeah. then express this in terms of ups man <laughs> love it so there's rules uh if you're trying to deliver a package an experience, an impact to an audience. You need to be aware of the rules, the guidelines, but you also need to, most importantly, know who your, your audience is and where they are and try to get there. Yeah. I think trying to tell this story, this is a valuable story. It's a worthwhile story. Trying to tell this story without flashbacks would be moronic. You mean just starting with them as kids and moving forward from well, there? Yeah, if you're going to do it without flashbacks, yeah, like if you're not allowed to, if you're not allowed to bounce back, a fly, if a flashback is cheap, yeah, like these are major criticisms of the movie that big places published, which is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, they're it's like, like clear. I mean, what in what world would you sign up for this little kid's being abused without knowing in some way where it's going? I don't know. There's part of that that yeah, I think the flashback's the only way you could do it. It gives you a grounding. It lets you tell these so terrible So if you scenes. think, if you're a UPS guy and people are like, hey, so we have diagnostically and descriptively broken down the pattern of successful delivery of packages to doors. Don't ever break this pattern. And like, what if there's pit bulls? You know, what if there's, <laughs> you know, like, what if the house is underwater? You know, what's, yeah. what if? And like you, yeah. it's descriptive. And so when people, when people try to come up with filmmaking rules, what they're trying to do is they're trying to describe things that have failed or succeeded. They're always trying to go distill the variables of success or failure. And one of the things that's really hard to actually distill as a variable is whether or not something is a good story. Uh, that's yeah. hard to just be yeah. like, 
And so it'd be really, if it, if you could just distill that, it'd be really easy to tell Hollywood, Hey, here's a thing. Don't do bad stories. (laughs) Yeah. Like like, don't do that. Yeah. Um, Obviously you can't do that though. When Deadpool succeeded, I was both happy and disappointed because it was like, Oh, you know, crud here. We have basically the superhero fatigue has given us the, a need for the audience that was originally scratched by Iron Man mouthing off. And so we saw Iron Man carry various superhero films by being mouthy and, and snarky and making fun of Thor and making fun of the stupidity of the whole thing, uh-huh. voicing the the mockery of the audience before the audience could. Yeah. And so like taking that weakness as a, as a strength, making a vice of virtue and, and helping build it into success. But in Deadpool, we saw high level absolutely obscene blasphemy of the superhero genre yeah like Super we're just crude. we're yeah. just going to blaspheme the su- the whole thing and what did that mean it meant we're going to get a lot more like that yeah because they'll say hey do you know what works yeah raunchy superheroes work and so we're going to like totally missing the point yeah, yeah. they'll they'll distill the variable and when i was at the very first part of my writing career, putting my toes in uh, Hollywood and consulting at DreamWorks Animation, there would be things that would succeed or fail. And then those, those things that would be distilled as cautionary tales were always shocking to me, where it's like monsters versus aliens is underperforming. Thus, we can't have more humanoids. So Susan, the giantess, apparently is unrelatable. In Asian markets, we're having trouble. We need to just do talking animals only. But then you have a talking animal movie that struggles, and you're like, ah, like no more talking animals. Talking animals was the problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so they, they, the thing that you can get a handle on is the thing that ends up being treated like the variable. And there's some truth in it. That's the that's the thing. That's what makes it so slippery. Yeah. So you can, if Slumdog succeeds, and it did, then people could be like, do you know what we need more of? more unknown actors speaking in their native tongues in vibrant music, musical context, With extreme violence, more flashbacks, <laughs> yeah. more horror. Right. They could grab all the things and be like, actually it was just a very compelling story about a kid we liked. Yeah. And it yeah. took us into this, like uh, this other world and we glimpsed this other world, this other reality and we felt horrible for him and we wanted him to su- succeed and we got to see him succeed. We got to see a fairy tale ending, a Western fairy tale ending on an Eastern horror. Yeah. And it took us into this really interesting place. Uh, it's a it's a really, really well done film. But yeah, it breaks all sorts of rules. It Yeah, because the other it, one because rules are just descriptions of people who've succeeded before you. Mm. Okay. Second question related to that. The this was a criticism from some big article that it's a movie that succeeds only if you don't take it that seriously. Yeah. Right. Right. Which I think there's some truth in that because you know. Yep. Especially a lot of a lot of like my friends and peers, my wife, you know, they listen to the soundtrack in college or high school, and you realize some of the really catchy songs like the Ring a Ding Dinga or yeah. Jai Ho, like Ring a Ding Dinga, they're running through like prostitutes in downtown Mumbai looking for Latika, right? Mm-hmm. And like we're all just like, oh, Ring a Ding Dinga, it's so catchy, yep. or like Jai Ho at the end, at the very end, where it's like, I guess the song that's like means winners are going to win or victory is here. I don't know something, yeah. And and to transfer from this story into them all dancing felt like a very interesting genre change, almost a subversion <laughs> of what came before. 
What are your thoughts on that? Why are they, why did it work? Cause yeah, it, it feels like it is a fairy tale. Okay. So it's a, it's a fairy tale that doesn't lie to you about Cinderella's actual reality. Okay. And so what Christians are so bad at, what we are so bad at, at as storytellers and, and evangelicals, I should say, because people like Flannery O'Connor were not bad at this, but evangelicals are bad at this. We are really, really bad at being honest about the darkness. And, mm. you know, so we, we do have a director with Slumdog who successfully, like, with peppy music that was dynamic and quick and kinetic and joyful in a way that matched the spirit of those kids who were somehow resilient and playful okay. and laughing. So that's despite, the connection. Despite all this. And so you see, like, the reason why it works is because you have these dynamic, dynamic kinetic scenes and they're, they're running around and they're doing all these things. It's like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Yeah. But you see a weird thing about these characters, these kids, is that they're still children laughing and playing and having friendships. And they're doing this here. Yeah. And the music really kind of layers yeah. that. Now, it builds to this, this Eastern fairy tale where we're going to, of course, we're going to get the girl and we're going to have a love song and then a dance number. Yeah. And we're going to have a full Bollywood hat tip. Yeah. Rags to Rajas. Yeah. Of course, the genre. <laughs> yeah. And, and it would have been really weird for, for them to not hat tip Bollywood yeah. with something like that at any point. Right. Like, so to do it when they did it, the big, you know, the big dancing is like, yep, Bollywood, an acknowledgement of what Bollywood is, which is those bright, vibrant colors, that up-tempo music, that personality that's always like, always in primary colors and spicy and fun. Well, they named the two brothers, Salim and Jamal, after the two Bollywood screenwriters who are the most popular. Yeah. Which I assume was an honor, not a- Yeah, not hat a, tip. Not, not, and something. so you have you have this vibrancy that is that is what Bollywood's known for, but before that you've had all of this reality, this, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this grim reality, and it's lensed childishly, yeah. And the whole point is that it's lensed childishly, you know, that it is. Well, that's what I was going to ask you too. Third, third question: How come everybody liked this movie so much as a kid? You go watch it as an adult and you're like, whoa, <laughs> that, that is just yeah. way harder as an adult. Because, because as when you're younger, it's, e it's easier to ignore the realities of mortality and hardship and everything else. Yeah. As a kid, and you're so, just like, Jamal's fine. Yeah. Jamal's fine. We're good to go. We're, you know, yeah, it's, it's okay. I'm assuming Latika is going to be fine too. You know, I think yep. it's, it must be. Like you said, children don't identify the sadness of other humans as well as they do like an animal suffering or an animal main character. You've said yep. that before. Is oh like, yeah. It's hard to watch, yep. you know, the kid being blinded is tough, but I think kids shake that off pretty fast because yep. next time you meet Darvind, Arvind, he's, he's getting a hundred bucks. So yep. <laughs> yep. And he's chipper. Yeah. And he's, and he's chipper as a, as opposed to uh, a dog dying. Right. And it's, um, yeah. Old yeller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, and th but there's there's some of that that sticks with us that sticks with adults as well. You know, if you think about I Am Legend, another film I really like, and you think about everybody died, everybody died, and you're like, I don't really feel that very much. Will Smith had to kill his own dog. And you're like, oh, 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, Manhattan is dead. Yeah. Okay. I'm in. Yeah. Um, but the German He's Shepherd. killing his own puppy dog. You're like, oh, no. Yeah. Can it can it be? Yeah, you're right. But the, the the playful music was a great decision and it keeps it childish and it keeps the vibrancy and the life of the narrative mm-hmm. childish. And so I think the don't take it too seriously would be better expressed as treat it childishly. Yeah. Like treat it as these children are treating it, where they're they're, yeah. you know, they're rolling through it. And that that childhood innocence cannot continue to exist. And it's gonna break in one of two directions. You know, it's going to be animalistic or it's going to like grow up a little, not be so naive, but not just go the dark way, you know, remain sacrificial and Yeah. So I guess in that sense, all coming of age stories have a childish lens on them because it's a child experiencing it. Yep. Absolutely. So I really, I really do like the film um, for a lot of reasons, but there are, there are layers that you peel like that. And you ask why this is strong, why this is weak, why are we doing it this way? Why are we just being rugrats? We're just being rugrats. Mm-hmm. But the the adult eyeballs of of the filmmakers call out and make sure that you see the grim horror of it. Yeah. I but mean, you it, still get sucked back into the playful Peter Panness of it. You know, you yeah. still get sucked back into that. Even uh even down to, you know, when Arvin gets blinded, then the next scene, you've actually got the kids aging up and they're now the the middle level. Yeah. And uh, Jamal's getting a black eye and they're highlighting like similarities of, yeah. you know, the what happens to your eyes, yep. <laughs> you know, and I'm just, I think it's thematically pretty, pretty well handled, even as they're doing a fun shoe grift at, uh, at the Taj Mahal. And similarly, when they're, sh- when they're shouting, um, you know, you wanted to see the real India and Jamal's getting beaten up by as the by the police officer with the American couple after they ran, stole yep. all their tires. I mean, just great scenes like that. Um, yep. It makes all of us feel like we saw the real India, even though. Even though we didn't. Even though this is very much like Kim, Rudyard Kipling. Yeah. I kept thinking of that. Yep. But then you think about movies like Lion, if you saw that one. Oh, I did. But yeah, yeah, I did. And that one, they they just hit one note. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it's so sad. So sad. So heavy. Great comparison. So dark. So dark. So dark. So dark. It's like, you know what? The the thing is, in the darkest places, you will find people being people. And people being people mean that they are being irreverent to the darkness. They're not staying down even when they're destroyed by it. Like that, it was just. That one piano key, they would just keep hitting over and over and over to make you feel, don't you feel bad? Isn't this terrible? It's like, yeah, this, this I is- I do, I do feel terrible. Yeah, this is awful. And I'm going to put again, 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 again. And Slumdog, people would say instinctively, is less realistic than that. And I think there are ways in which Slumdog is more realistic. Hmm, I like that. Because you will go find packs of kids who have terrible existences, hard, hard lives. like. They'll be going through experiences like that and they will be telling each other jokes and they'll be playing tag. You know, it's like, and yeah, yeah. there's, there's a level of sorrow and death's doorness, you know, that they can reach where that stops. And, you know, like that's, it's awful. It's an awful place. But the thing is they're made in the image of God and they continue to like play tag, even if they're playing tag in, in graveyards. I mean, like, it's just, yeah, yeah. 
it's the way we are as as people and so when we just try to hit the feel bad feel bad feel bad feel bad note i think it loses its strength and when you watch something where kids are being playful and they're running around like birds on the beach and everything's they're all doing its thing and they're being you know mischievous beyond belief and all this stuff and you're kind of laughing and then a kid's blinded and you realize the way this you're just like oh i mean it's mm. it actually for an adult it hits you know, yeah. it hits differently where I think that you would have opted out if the filmmaker tried to make it that bad before that mm-hmm. and tried to bring you in with that flavor. You already would have just bailed. Yeah. Like you would have just like, I don't want to be here. I'm not going to feel this. It's like, oof, you yep. know, yep. Um, unless you're a sadist. So they baited the hook with the joy of him shouting with the signed photo at the beginning. I think that's probably yeah. one of our save the cat moments. Of- and then you, uh, well, I think just being having to be a victim. So yeah. the fact that he's a victim and has to go down the outhouse hole at all yeah. <laughs> is is a bit of the save the cat. Yeah, yeah. So just victimizing him early and then showing his laughter and triumph. Yes. He's not coming up going like, oh, yeah, he's gross. I, yeah. Coming up like, ha ha. You know, it's like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I win. <laughs> I win. I am the winner. Yeah. But it's a it's a great film. Um I'll, and I like it a lot and I think that there are things about it that reflect humanity in darkness really yeah. really well. And I think uh another one like that is Life is Beautiful. You know, like yeah. super hokey mm-hmm. on purpose and it's hokiness, it's Hogan's heroesness like highlights a lot of the grim realities in a way that just playing the dark note doesn't yeah just doesn't. too much adult literary fiction just hits that dark note dark dark yeah. dark it still sucks yeah 300 pages dark dark, dark. you might want a happy ending but there won't be everyone one. dies <laughs> dark 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 <laughs> we're all victims in a world yeah in a world <laughs> plagued with you know whatever our world is plagued with labor shortages <laughs> yeah yeah um did we did we talk about Spirited Away? Do we need to at least? No, we we gotta put it base. off. It's too long. Next uh, time. Let's let's just assert that it's great. Do we yeah. do that? It's great. There, moving on. Favorite cartoon. That's all we need to do. Favorite. If you want to go watch the David cartoon that just got funded, and then go watch Spirited Away, the 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 preview, the prequel for the David cartoon that just got funded, and then go watch Spirited Away, <sighs> and then we'll have a conversation. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, Spirited Away, great film. Let's just leave it there and keep rubbing the cat backwards. Um, And then we'll announce our next lamp pick soon. Yeah. We don't have to do that today. Mm -mm, Next episode. Okay, good. That gives us a week to figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. I was glad to actually survive the labor shortages of the world's wealthiest nation ever resulting in taking slightly longer to fly through the sky <laughs> to jump a continent <laughs> it's like and you know the benefit what of your daughters if you ever yeah to, to laugh at my daughters fighting the wind it was all all of it was ecclesiastes but if you ever feel bad for yourself when traveling write it just write it as a letter to lewis and clark <laughs> <laughs> dear my dearest merryweather <laughs> my dearest merryweather i had a very bad thursday let me tell you about it (laughs) see ya (laughs) 
I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Stories or Soul Food, and I have something special for you because I'm excited about it, so you get to hear about it. It is this brand new book uh, by Canon Press about stories. It's called 32. Yes, the number. 32 Christians Who Changed Their World by Dr. Glenn Sunshine. And it's stories of everyday Christians all around the world throughout history, the people you haven't heard of, true multiculturalism, and the way, uh, short stories of how their lives um, changed history and their own culture. It's inspirational. I mean, the Christian faith is a call to adventure. And of course, on our podcast, we love to talk about how stories affect that. And some of my favorite ways of doing that is talking about famous characters in history and not famous characters in history. Oh, and one more part. Uh, I get very excited about this stuff as a publisher. Look how cool the shiny black foil is on the nice yellow binding. It's just fun to have a nice hardback book. Anyways, this is available now. It's just releasing brand new 32 by Glenn Sunshine. <laughs>